I want to say thank you to your elders for allowing me to stand behind the sacred desk uh, to proclaim his holy and living word uh, to you uh, this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to look at the most well-known and well-loved parables of all Jesus' teachings. Traditionally, this parable called the parable of the prodigal son. The word uh, prodigal means to spend money or resources freely or recklessly, which describes a younger son really well in this parable. And that's why many know this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. But my sermon today is not titled The Prodigal Son, the parable, but, rather, uh, but rather Two Sons and Gracious Father. I think so many times we miss the point of the parable by focusing only on the rebellious son. But this is the parable of contrast between two sons and not just the one. If you look with me in this, in this chapter, uh, verse 1 and 2, Jesus, uh, you will see the contrast that there's a tax collectors and sinners versus Pharisees and scribes coming to hear Jesus. Where Jesus addressing both groups where when tax collectors and sinners draw near to him, but the religious leaders are greatly offended by the way Jesus is welcoming sinners to himself. That's why in our text we see in verse 11 the contrast. There was a man who had two sons. I think the whole world apart from Christ by and large can be placed in these two camps in terms of how they relate to God. We can use different words and identify these two camps. Worldly versus religious. Liberal versus conservative. Progressive versus traditional. Secular versus legalistic. CNN versus Fox News. This is about how we as individuals seek to relate to our Heavenly Father. But apart from Christ, we all tend to relate to God in one of these two ways, worldly or religious. So Jesus in our parable this morning is calling both groups to entirely different ways to relate to our heavenly Father. So let's consider two sons and their response to their gracious Father. Let's look the first son, the younger son. I call him the worldly or rebellious in verse 12 through 24. This younger son is living under the authority of his father. And he hates every minute of it. He feels limited and probably bored 
and he just wants to get away out of under the authority of his father. So what he does is he goes to his father and asks for his portion of inheritance. What's interesting is that inheritance was distributed upon the death of the father. So for the son to come and ask for his portion of inheritance, now I was, for all practical purposes to say, I wish you were dead. I wish you were no longer part of my life. I don't want to be under your authority and under your care. I no longer want to be part of your family. I just want your money. I just want to be used. Uh, I just want to use what you can provide for me. I just want to seek my own desires. Can you imagine that? This is very disrespectful and dishonoring to the father. When he comes and asks for his inheritance, in other words, he's saying, I wish you were dead. But interesting is that the father agrees. He didn't stop him, say, no, 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 it's a bad idea for you. No, he agrees and he gives the inheritance to the younger son. He's not worried about it. He just let him, he just gave it to him. It, it's, it can be a property, a land, or animals. And the younger son, what he does, he goes and convert, uh, converts all of that into the cash and puts it in a sack. And he can go on his way. And he goes to the distant country, casting out all the responsibilities under his father's authority. And he freely, and he finally feels free. We read that he squandered his property in reckless living. Down in verse 30 tells us that he spends on prostitutes. It was immoral, unwise. His sinful choices had left him with nothing. His recklessness met with additional difficulties when famine hit the land. So now he has nothing, and there is famine in the land. Just imagine that, in that situation, that he has nothing and there is a famine. And it seems he goes, uh, he does a good thing. He finds the job. Then he discovered that the job is he took was feeding pigs. And those animals are unclean in the huge sense of the word. Just imagine that. So the younger son now reached the lowest depths that Jews could reach. And he works for the Gentile, feeding unclean animals. Later we see that he was so hungry that he was longing to eat pig's food. This is how desperate he became. But there is no one to help him. So this younger son, younger son, through his sinful rebellion and rejection of his father, he hit rock bottom. 
then we reach the turning point in verse 17. But before we go there, let me say to those who are here, or maybe now some of you live like a younger son, by pursuing freedom in a sinful way against God and against His laws over your lives. Maybe you think it will bring you joy and happiness by pursuing those sinful things. Let's learn from this. The promises that sin offers is through pornography, through sexual immorality, and through material luxury. There are fleeting promises. These false promises will never satisfy you. Those promises are a lie. If you think they are bringing you freedom and joy, they won't because it's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. Instead, they bring enslavement, emptiness, and regret. So this is how younger son felt after believing the promises of his sinful rebellion. But thankfully, that's not where Jesus leaves the younger son in the story. And he also will not leave you either if you turn to him in faith. So we saw younger son's rebellion, and now we will see his repentance. He comes to himself. He comes to his senses. He sees his life and reality around him for what it is really is. He has been deceived, and he wakes, wakes up, and he recognizes the desperation, the desperate situation he is in. And what does he remember when he wakes up? He remembers his father. He's not sitting in the pigsty remembering prostitutes or wishing that he had wealth again to spend it on his reckless living. That's not what he remembers. He remembers home. He remembers his father, father's care and provision. Even he remembers hired servants. I mean, imagine those hired servants was provided by the father because they have food to eat. In verse 17 says that. So what he does, he makes a plan to return to his father. And the younger son here is just beautiful picture to us what biblical repentance looks like. So if you are in a pigsty right now, Learn from this and from the younger son what a true repentance looks like. He recognizes his sin against his heavenly father and against his earthly father. So what does he do? He owns it. No excuses at all. He simply says, I sinned against God and my father. 
And then he literally leaves behind his life of sin in order to return under his father's authority with humility, with empty hands to seek his father's gracious provision. That's true repentance, brothers and sisters. In verse 20, he rose and came to his father. So we saw the younger son's rebellion, repentance, and now we will see his reception. Again, see with me the verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran, embraced him, and kissed him. Can you see the father running? He forgets all the cultural importance and welcomes his younger son home and cannot wait to get hands around him. Distinguished men in the culture, they, would, they did not run in order to expose their legs. That's what kids did in that time, in that culture. But father didn't care. He was so excited to see his son out of distance, and he starts running, and he cannot wait to meet him. And full of compassion and grace, he embraced him and kissed him. Now consider, Jesus is telling this parable to defend his own ministry of welcoming sinners, but he does it so to display for us the heart of the Father. Jesus is saying, do, not, uh, do you know why my ministry is what it is and why I'm seeking the sinners and the lost? Because my Father wants them. That's why my Father sent me. I'm not here to convince the Father. I'm here because of the Father. And that's the heart of our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters. The younger son began to declare his repentance to the father, and before he can even speak of his glad willingness to work as a servant, the father jumps in and, does, and doesn't let him to finish it. He puts his best robe on him. He puts the ring on his hand. He puts the shoes on his feet, because servants go barefoot, but the sons wear shoes and they were breeding fatting calf to feast and celebrate because his son was dead but now he is alive he was lost now he is found and they began to celebrate this is the mercy and the love and the joy of our Heavenly Father towards sinners who return to Him in repentance and faith. The Father does not hold His Son's sin against Him. He is not required to do good work to earn His way back into the family. He freely forgives. He receives Him and restores a repentant, uh, repentant rebel to the full status as a son. 
Psalm 103 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he removes our transgressions from us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So that was the younger son. In verse 25, the scene shifts and we turn to the older son. The younger son had related to his father through his rebellion actions. And the older son had related to his father through his self-righteousness. So in the end, in the end of the day, we find our older son where? In the field, working hard and being faithful to accomplish his tasks. After his work, he's heading back toward home, and he hears music, and he hears dancing and festivity, and he wonders, what's going on? What this is all about? He asks one of his servants, what's going on here? And the servant explains. He said, your younger brother returned, and the father has killed the fattened calf in celebration. And he's rejoicing that your brother now is back safe and sound. In verse 28, we see the response of the older brother, of the older son. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entered him, but he answered his father, Look, this many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fatting calf for him. Now, as we try to understand the relationship of the older son to his father, I think it's actually a little bit more complicated than the younger son. That's the thing about the rebellion as opposed to self-righteousness. It is easy to judge the younger son's rebellion than the older son's self-righteousness or righteousness. It's very clear that the younger son did a terrible thing, and he needs to repent of it. But the older son seemingly has remained under the father's authority. He did not leave the family farm. He stayed with the father, and he was there faithfully, working hard, like Luke tells us, that for many years. If someone was looking from the outside at the older son, they were able to tell that he lived a good and solid 
relationship with his father. But surprisingly, the father's gracious reception of the younger son, it brings to the surface, surface that the fact this older son is, not, is no less lost and no less in need of the father's mercy than his younger rebellious brother. And that's the warning that Jesus gives to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to anyone who seeks to relate to God on the, on the basis of their personal obedience or personal performance of their requirements. So how does the older self-righteous son's response to the father's gracious reception of the younger son and what comes out of him? He's, he comes with anger, with self-righteousness, and a questioning of the Father's wisdom and love. Why? Why is that? Why did he respond that way? Because the old elder son believed that his rights had been trampled down. That he was not getting what he deserved. In his own mind, he has fulfilled his obligations to, the, to, the father, to his father. As a result, the father owned him. The older son is angry because the younger son is receiving undeserving blessings because the blessing should only come to those who deserve it. Because he served his father for many years, and that's why he's so angry. Because he's not getting what he wants. In his self-righteousness, he feels be uh, better in comparison to his younger brother. He says, I never disobey your command, and yet my brother gave himself to prostitutes. Am I not better than him? As a result of all that, he doubts his father's love. He comes to the conclusion that his father has been holding out on him, as the older son deserves better than, his, uh, than he has received. And ironically, what is revealed in all of this is that he, the older son initially wanted the same thing as the younger son. He just went about it in a different way. In, order, in, in other words, he did not want to delight in his relationship with his father. His father was a means to his own selfish gain. That's why he stayed. And that's why he worked hard. Instead of seeking this gain in rebellious ways like his younger brother, he sought it by his self-righteous duties to requirements of a son. That is the means to his desired end rather than resting and enjoying the love and provision of his gracious and wise father. The older son wanted to use his own performance 
to control his father and to get what he wants from him. And because of all that, he began to act angry with accusation and with doubt. These are the symptoms of all lost self-righteous men. Equally as the older son lost as his younger brother because he was more blinded to his own need and his own lostness. We all need to be aware of our lives, of our own symptoms of self-righteousness. It's very easy for us to be self-righteous. So when we see God's mercifully blessing people around us, do we feel better that He is not doing more for us? Do we find obedience to God's uh, to God burdensome rather than joyful and freeing? If you are, recognize these things in your life in a fundamental way you may need to ask yourself if you are a truly Christian. If we fundamentally trusting in our own performance to get from God what, he, what we want from Him, that's not uh, Christianity. Because so many people live that way. I serve you so God can bless me. That's not a Christianity then we need, we need to examine ourselves. Like Paul says, right? We need to examine and repent of this. If we, if we recognize some of these things in our lives, maybe we are still Christian. Tim Keller puts, like, uh, puts it like this. There is a big difference between being an elder brother and being a real gospel-believing Christian. But there are also many genuine Christians who are elderly brothers. So when we find ourselves as a genuine Christians and yet drifting toward being condemning, anxious, insecure, joyless, and angry, in this situation, what should we do? We return to the gospel. And we, remain our, uh, we remind ourselves what God has done in Christ for us. We hold fast to the truth of the gospel and not relying on our own performance. Believing that God will be faithful to us, not because we were faithful to him. Brothers and sisters, if you're in that situation right now, run to the gospel. Remind yourself every day that Jesus deserves glory. Not you, not me. It's all about him. It's all about him. And again, thankfully, in his parable, Jesus does not condemn the older brother in certain fate, 
the Father graciously and kindly invites the older son. We saw that in verse 28. When the Father goes out to him and invites him to join the party, the celebration, the son, the younger son returned. We see this again in verse 31 and 32. Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It is kind and gracious appeal that the father makes to his son. And he must receive this appeal. An elder brother, he must not remain outside the feast because it is fitting and right to celebrate when lost sinners are found. This is the heart of our Heavenly Father, brothers and sisters. And the one who refused to join in their celebration shows that he does not share in the heart of Heavenly Father. Notice here we see the lack of parallel in the story between the younger son and the older son. And Jesus recounts for us the younger son's repentance and reception by the father. But the appeal of the older son is left unresolved. And it shows to us where the emphasis lies in Jesus' parable. It is at heart an open invitation for Pharisees and for scribes and for all self-righteous men to come and join the Father in the Feast of the Redeemed. Not the Feast of those who deserve His favor, but older brothers are invited. Self-righteous men are invited to the Feast of the Redeemed. Instead of being angry, come and celebrate what Father is doing, saving sinners and bringing them to himself. But it's not yet clear as Jesus speaks how the Pharisees respond. I mean, will respond. Many sinners are coming to Jesus. We, we saw this in uh, verse 1. They were drawn near to him. At this point, the Pharisees were grumbling. But in his mercy, Jesus does not go only to rebellious, only to the sinners and tax collectors. He goes to the self-righteous too. And he invites them to receive his mercy and to join the feast. And this invitation is offered to us as well to come to celebrate what God is doing in the people's lives. But there is only way, but there's only one way to introduce the feast. Not through a rebellious life and not through self-righteousness. Because a lot of people think that way. Ultimately, the way to enter to, uh, to the same is for the older son and for the younger son through the mercy of God.
And that is where the third son comes in. You will say, there's a third son in this parable? I don't see a third son in this parable. Yes, there's a third son in this parable. And this third son, that's Jesus, the perfect son, the righteous son, the one who never rebelled against his father, who never dishonored his father. That third son telling those two sons, you need me? Come to me, and I'll give you life. I'll give you a relationship. I have better stuff for you than you pursuing in this world. You rebellious son, you thinking you're looking for freedom by pursuing in a sinful way, freedom. Now come to me, i give you true freedom. Jesus says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I am that truth. The rebellious son who try and work hard to honor his father, not doing bad things. But Jesus said, no, that's not enough. You need me because I give true righteousness if you trust in me. That's why I came. I lived perfect life for 33 years. Never sinned with my mind, with my actions, with my lips. And all that I did for you, if you put your trust in me. I am the third son that you need. And so that's what in this parable, we see the third son. Sometimes we think those two sons are the main characters now. It's the third son who's telling this parable. And he pointing to himself. And he invites those two sons. And he invites us to join him in this feast of the redeemed. And we know in the future we will be with him. In the feast of the Lamb, all of us who put their trust in him. So brothers and sisters, come to Jesus. Come to him. If you want freedom, come to him. Don't look at it in the sinful ways. If you're thinking that you need to prove yourself or show how good you are, stop it. Come to Jesus because he has everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the third son. We're so thankful for him. Thank you that he came, became a man, lived perfect life, and went to this rugged cross to die for our sins. And he didn't stay on the cross. On the third day, he rose again for our justification. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for that. We want to put our trust in you by your spirit. Please forgive us if we so often pursue freedom in a sinful ways. This, like this younger son, trying to get uh, to be free by doing sinful things that dishonors you. Sometimes we don't want to be under your law and under your provision. We think that we know better than you. So please forgive us because we know those promises of sin, they are a lie and they will lead us to 
desperation. So please forgive us and help us to run to you. I pray for those who are trying to earn their own salvation by doing good works, or even if they're Christians, and they're thinking that just living uh, self-righteous lives, our relationship with you will be better. But that's not true. Because we don't need to compete with, with Jesus. Because Jesus, all we have, all in all in him. So thank you for that. And I pray that we, those both groups, will come to him to find freedom, find righteousness, your righteousness. Thank you again. And help us to be reminded of the gospel, what you, God, did in Christ Jesus for us. Every day because we need it. We forget. Help us to be reminded through your word, through the church, through with one another as we fellowship, to be reminded of the gospel. And hold fast on this truth. We love you and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Father's a tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the wild, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. The Lord, His mercy is more. 